Continuing today looking at some portions of scripture where it tells of Jesus giving thanks. And today in the Gospel of John chapter 6, sorry, verse 5. And would you please stand as read from God's word. John 6 in, in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked his only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Lord, thank you that this is your word and it's true. That as miraculous, as incredible as this story sounds, it really happened. And thank you that you're the same God today. You have the same compassion and the same ability to take care of us that you had then. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I've been able over the years to go to a lot of church potlucks. And many of them have had some similar characteristics. Before the event, there's often concern. Will we have enough? Will we have enough? Is there going to be enough come in to feed? And sometimes we have more people than anticipated. Is there going to be enough food? And then afterwards, there's a common problem. What are we going to do with all this leftover food? <laughs> We're having that attitude, not just at potlucks, but at other things of life. Will there be enough? Am I going to have enough? Am I going to be able to get by? Is God going to provide for me? And, and we face the same kind of stuff that the disciples faced. Before this meal that Jesus provided, the disciples said, there's no way we're going to feed this crowd. We just don't have enough. And then afterwards, they each get a basket, and you can imagine each of them are thinking, well, this is a whole big basket. I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat all this. We often don't seem to have much to offer. 5,000 men plus women and kids, 12 disciples, they didn't have much they could do about this problem. And we, as we look around us and problems of life, we can feel like they did. The needs seem way too big. There are 5,000 plus hungry people. That's a lot of food. And that's 
hard to imagine. How, how do you feed a crowd like that? In some ways, we say 5,000 men and then women and children. I mean, you can imagine this getting close to the population of Ferndale. Imagine we say we're going to give lunch to the whole population, everybody in Ferndale. We'd say there's no way that's happening. And Philip, he's one of the disciples, and we see him here. He's, in a way, he's kind of in the role of the realist. He's coming, and, and he's saying, okay, eight months' wages isn't going to be enough to feed him. There's no way we can go and we can buy food for everybody. He's maybe saying, yeah, it'd be nice if we could. But we, and you can kind of hear him almost thinking, he's thinking, we already gave up our wages just to follow you. Now, how could we ever feed a crowd like this? He sees no point in even starting. He, he's maybe, like you said, he's a realist. He's maybe thinking, okay, if we start to feed some people, it's going to run out really quick, and then there's going to be chaos, the crowds are going to riot. We better just say, and one other, other gospels say that they were, the disciples were saying, let's just send them away. Let's just tell the people they got to go and find their own lunch. Philip, he saw the problem, and he saw they lacked the ability and the resources to deal with the problem. And Philip is correct to a point. He's correct that they couldn't fix the problem. He's correct that they didn't have what was needed to care for all these people. Where he fell short was he wasn't factoring Jesus into the equation. And we, in a way, we need to start where Philip started, just don't stop where he stopped. We need to do like he did, admit that we can't handle the challenges of life. Admit that there's problems and there's needs that are beyond our resources to handle it. We can't take care of everybody we wish we could take care of. We can't fix every problem we wish we could fix. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't feed hungry people. Apart from him, we can't help hurting souls. Apart from him, we can't figure out the answer to the tough questions and challenges of life. Apart from him, the disciples can feed that crowd, and apart from him, we can't do much either. We can do nothing, he says. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about what he calls a thorn in the flesh that he had that showed him his limitations. And he prayed for God to remove it, but the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul acknowledged, he said, For when I am weak, then I am strong. He saw that it was a good thing for him to be taught of his limitations. And that he saw that he couldn't do it, but God's grace was sufficient. Paul saw his own weakness. And seeing his own weakness helped him to see the strength of the Lord. Moses was a great leader because Moses saw his weakness. In Exodus 33, it tells of a time Moses is praying to the Lord, and, and he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He's basically saying, I'm not going to try to lead these people. I'm not going to try to serve you 
if you're not with me. And we, in similar way, we need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, if you're not with me, I'm not going up from here. I can't do it without you. We mentioned yesterday some of us were helping the rushes move. And, and I've been in other moving parties where sometimes you have the, the young guys who just almost kind of approach it as, though this is an opportunity for me to show how strong I am and I can just carry anything. And they're just kind of flexing muscles and saying, I, I can do it. But then you have the ones who are a little more experienced and they bring dollies along and they know how wonderful the invention of the wheel is. <laughs> they know, okay, we're limited in carrying stuff. Let's use something else. We at times in life approach other problems and think, well, I can just do it in my own strength. If you have wisdom, you know, I can't do it in my own strength. I need the Lord. We present the little we have to Jesus. Philip, as we said, he's a realist. Andrew is a bit of an optimist. Andrew comes to, to him and he's somehow a, a little boy came to Andrew. And this boy has five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And so Andrew comes and he, he brings it to Jesus. And, and you get a thought, you know, this boy, he, he's one of the few along there that day who thought to bring lunch. His mom, you know, mothers have always liked this story, he said it must have been a mom who packed lunch for this little boy. And, and this boy brings a lunch and he's willing to turn the lunch over. And then Andrew comes and he's willing to bring it to Jesus and he's not too optimistic that it can do much. But you get a sense. Andrew's thinking, well, who knows? <laughs> Maybe we'll at, least, we'll, we'll at least tell Jesus about it. We'll at least let him know what's available. It seemed too small. But Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, that's just not enough. No, Jesus makes use of it. And we are to do the same as this boy. We're to do the same as Andrew. We bring the little that we have and we bring it to Jesus. And our abilities, our resources, our strength, it might not seem any bigger than this boy's lunch. We, but we bring that little bit and we say, here, Lord, this is what I've got. <laughs> doesn't seem too big, it doesn't seem too impressive, but here's what I have. You're welcome to make use of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 26, he says, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. And he says, not many of you were strong, not many of you were influential. But he says, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the foolish things to shame the wise. He's saying the ones that God chooses aren't the ones who are big and impressive. He chooses the ones who are kind of like this boy's little lunch. He chooses the ones who maybe don't have amazing strength and incredible abilities. Those are the ones he delights in using and working through to his glory. We see that demonstrated in the, the Old Testament story of David and Goliath and and David comes to the front line. He hears Goliath taunting God and the people of God. And, and he says, you'll go fight Goliath. And then King Saul said, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. 
Well, he was right. He was only a boy. He was only a boy, and all he had, he was a boy who only had a slingshot and some stones. Didn't seem like he had much, but he was willing to take the little he had and put it to God's use. And when David then came to the, the Philistine, he said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David knew his smallness, but he knew God's greatness. And we need to recognize and acknowledge our smallness, but then also know the greatness of God. And we bring our smallness to God and say, Lord, you're welcome to use this however you choose. There's a guy on TV, uh, hosted a Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon, and, and he has episodes on this show where he has musicians come and they use classroom instruments to make music. And they use stuff like, like a grade school class has. They use little percussion instruments and xylophone and different kinds of things that you'd find in a grade school music class. And, and then he has these musicians say, okay, now we're going to do a song. I've seen videos of some of these. They actually end up doing pretty well. <laughs> and they sound kind of neat with just these instruments that you think, what musician's going to want to actually use this stuff? And yet... A good musician can use some of those simple instruments and make some nice music. Much more so the Lord. We can bring to him what seems like a pretty simple instrument. Our lives, our time, our ability, our resources, we bring it to him and the Lord can make some beautiful music out of our lives. They bring the problem to Jesus Philip, he, he doesn't think there's anything they can do. Andrew says, well, we've got a little lunch. Can't do too much with that. But then there's Jesus. And Jesus is not overwhelmed by the problems. We don't read here of Jesus being concerned. We don't read of Jesus getting anxious and thinking, boy, there's a crowd and and." How are we going to feed him? And anybody got a plan? And he's not trying to figure out, okay, let's get something together. No, he's, he's got it all figured out. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. So he, he asked Philip about the bread, but it says he was asking him the question to test him. That he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already had in mind then, he already has in mind now what he's going to do. Jesus isn't uncertain about what he's going to do tomorrow. Jesus never has a day that, he, that starts out and he's wondering, well, we've got to figure something out today. No, he, he always has in mind what he's going to do. He had in mind what he was going to do. He didn't need advice. He didn't need help in deciphering the problem, coming up with a solution. Jesus wasn't surprised that there were so many people who showed up. We get surprised all the time. We get shocked by challenges and problems that come along. We have no idea what we're going to do, how we're going to handle situations. That's never the case with Jesus. He is the almighty God who always has a plan and his plan never gets derailed. 
He never asked to go to plan B because plan A didn't work out. The Lord says in Jeremiah 29, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He knows the plans he has. He has good plans in place for you. He knows those plans and he knows how to make them happen. In Psalm 33, verse 11, it says, The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. His plans stand firm. His plans aren't just kind of, well, they might happen. There's a chance. We'll see if it can work out. No, his plans stand firm no matter what. And his plans are wonderful. Isaiah 28, verse 29, he says, All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. God has in mind how he wants to care for you. God has in mind how he wants to be gracious to you. God has a plan, and it's wonderful, and it stands firm. His plan might be very different from your plan. And his plan at first might seem to be not so good a plan in your way of looking at things. But trust that in eternity is going to be clear. His plan is wonderful. We get planners for next year. And we get calendars for a year ahead. And we write stuff down. But in a way, when we write stuff in the planner, maybe we ought to write in pencil. Because we make plans for the year, but they could get erased. But God, he writes plans in a way we could think of God, if he had a planner, he just writes in pencil, he writes in pen. <laughs> because God's plans never get erased. God never has to say, oh, God, scratch that one out. God, do it different. Something happened I didn't see coming. Oh, God can write his plans down and they stand firm. And Jesus gives thanks for the little we give. Andrew, he, he appreciated the boy's willingness to share. But you get a sense, almost Andrew's a little bit, maybe not impressed with the, the lunch. Because he comes and he says, well, this is what we have, but it's not much. In a way, it's maybe one of those kind of polite thanks Maybe you've received something and you know you have to be thankful for it. You're not really impressed by it. <laughs> and so you say, well, thanks. And then other stuff you get and you go, wow, thank you. It's amazing. <laughs> well, Andrew, he's not a wow, this is amazing. But Jesus, he didn't treat it that way. Jesus doesn't treat it and say, oh, boy, this is kind of little. But we'll see what we can do. No, Jesus even though it's just five loaves, two fish, Jesus pauses and he gives thanks. And he sees each gift that's given to him in faith, each life that's turned over to him, each act of service that's done for him. He gives thanks. He sees it as something to give thanks for. When I was in seminary, we'd have coffee break in the morning. I, when I first went there, I saw on the schedule, they even had coffee break scheduled. I thought, this is my kind of school. They even schedule coffee break. And, and we'd have coffee break, and we, we'd go down, and there was always coffee. Sometimes there was donuts there. And, and then I remember one 
morning, guys are afterwards, they're talking. It was really a good treat that was there that somebody had brought. And, and then they paused and they said, oh, should we be praying over this? And I see you guys, it is just like in academia at times, they just think too much. And I told these guys, you're just thinking this out too much. I said, don't. I said, yeah, we ought to always have an attitude of thankfulness and we ought to always be thankful and gracious, but don't start thinking, oh, if I take a bite out of the donut before I pray, God's going to cause me to choke on it or something. It's, don't get legalistic and silly about it. It's okay if you have the donut and coffee and you don't pray, God's going to be okay. <laughs> but always be thankful. And we ought to always be thankful no matter how big it is. No matter how small what, what we've received, we give thanks. Because Jesus does that. He gave thanks. It was just five loaves, two fish. And he gives thanks. And that's how he approaches us too. The little that we do, the little that we give, he delights in it. In Psalm 147, he says how he is, the Lord's pleasure isn't in the strength of horses or in the strength of, strength of people, that, that he's not only delighting if you do something that's big and impressive. No, it says the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. He delights in, in us when we do something that isn't a big deal to the world, but we're doing our best in service to God. And we're doing our best in serving him and sharing his love. And the Lord delights and he gives thanks for that. Paul, in writing the church in Rome, he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. He was thankful for their faith. We at times can think, well, God is only thankful if I do great achievements. No, he's, he's thankful for your faith. And even if your achievements don't seem impressive to the world, if you have a faith in Christ and you're trusting in him and you're giving the little you have to him, you, the little service, the little ability that you have, and, and when we give that little we have and we say, God, use my life, the Lord gives thanks. Jesus gave thanks for that little. The need was big. The lunch was small. But Jesus, he handles it. And he provides in abundance. The creator, he, he made us. He knows that we need food. He, he knew what they needed that day. He knew better than anybody else. And he's able to meet that need. And Jesus can take our little to do miracles. He could have fed the crowd that day by just having food fall from the sky. He's a creator God. He could have done that. He didn't have to have the loaves and the fish. But he chose to use the loaves and the fish to be a lesson as to how he works. He takes our little and then he uses it to do stuff far bigger than what we could even imagine. He feeds 5,000 people and, and he does it with just the little bit of fish. 
And in a similar way, he can take our words that maybe don't seem all that wise sometimes, and he can take our words and he can somehow help somebody who's trying to understand Scripture and he can help them to get some understanding. He can take our little acts of service, serving a friend or serving a neighbor, and it seems like we're not doing anything that's that big a deal. And yet he can take that little act of service and he can use it to make an impact in somebody's life. He can take our, our time in prayer that doesn't seem all that big or significant and he can use that prayer time and he can make a difference all over the world. He can use that, what you do for him that maybe doesn't seem too big and he can do something great. In Acts chapter 4, it says that they had Peter and John, they were on trial, they were brought before the leaders, and the leaders, they, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. But it says they realized they had been with Jesus. It's a great picture of that early church. It was ordinary people. But God used these ordinary people to do extraordinary work of starting the New Testament church and starting the spread of the gospel around the world. He still uses ordinary people like us to do his work. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about what the kingdom is like. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Mustard seed is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. It says the kingdom is like that. It, it's, it's small. It doesn't seem significant to the world, but God can take it and plant it and cause great growth. And he continues on. He says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. It doesn't take a whole lot of yeast to make a big impact. And he says the kingdom's like that. The kingdom maybe doesn't seem too big but it can make a big impact. God can use our little to make an impact that's far beyond what we could expect or imagine. Howard Hendricks is somebody who became a pastor or a seminary teacher. He became an author of some great books used by God in significant ways. Uh, Howard grew up, though, in kind of a tough family background, didn't have a whole lot of Christian influence in his home. But there was a guy named Walter who would drive around uh, Philadelphia area and he'd pick up kids to bring them to Sunday school. Walter had an old car. I, I think Hendrick said it was an old station wagon, like one of these. And he says Walter didn't have a whole lot of necessarily education. He didn't have some great abilities of communicating or teaching or anything like that. But he had a real love for the Lord and he had a love for kids. And he'd just go around neighborhood, he'd find kids, and he'd talk with them, he'd listen to them, he'd invite them to come to Sunday school, and he'd drive around on Sunday morning, he'd pick up kids and bring them to Sunday school. Hendricks ended up becoming somebody who served the Lord all over the world. And he, he said, as far as he could recall, there were 10 others who came in that Sunday school class and, and were 
brought to Sunday school by Walter and they ended up becoming missionaries or becoming pastors or going into some kind of full-time ministry of some kind. Walter just used the little that he had. He had a car and he could drive around and pick up kids. And so God used that little that he had and he ended up making an impact all around the world for many years afterwards. God can use a little to do a lot. And Jesus graciously meets our needs. All these people, and it says they received as much bread and fish as they wanted. In accounts in the other Gospels, it uses the word satisfied. They were satisfied. The whole big crowd of them, and they were satisfied. The Lord provides satisfaction. The Lord is able to bring contentment. People struggle trying to find satisfaction trying to find contentment, and it can't be found truly anywhere else, but it can be found in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He talks in those verses, he says, I have known times of plenty, I have known times of want, but he says, I've learned to be content. And the secret of being content is what he says then in verse 19, he says, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He knows God's going to meet his needs, and so he's content. Even in the times when he was in want, and in the times when he was in plenty, he was satisfied because he knew God's going to meet my needs. In Psalm 107, he says, Give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. He's talking not just about physical hunger, but he's talking about hunger of the soul. He can fill that hunger. He can fill our physical hunger. He can fill our soul's hunger. And he can satisfy. In Psalm 63, verse 4, he says, I will praise you as long as I live. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of foods. We have so many in our world who have much material goods, but they don't have a soul that is satisfied. The Lord can bring a satisfaction to the soul. In Psalm 37, he says, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. That verse especially spoke to me when I was going to school and, and times were a little tight. I had times I was wondering, well, how am I going to pay the bills, how am I going to get through? And, and I remember one year in particular, it was the end of the year, and we had to do a thing. There was some kind of rent relief program in the state of Minnesota where I was going to school at the time. And, and you had to put down what your salary that you'd earned for the year was and what the rent was you had paid for the year. And so I figured that out and put it down, and my salary was $10 more than the rent I had paid. And my roommate, he said, well, I know you ate more than $10 worth of food during the year. How did you do it? I said, I don't really know for sure. <laughs> I really love church potlucks. Hey, I said, I also got gifts uh, from people over the year at different times, church, or people would send me some gifts. And, and I got to know the cook at the school who gave me leftovers sometimes. I, so is it somehow God provided that? those amounts being so close 
I thought, this isn't a coincidence. This is God causing these amounts to be close, and he's letting me know, I can provide for you. I can take care of you. Don't worry. Trust that God will provide. He continues to provide. And you can trust, no matter how it might look, no matter what financial situations are going on, no matter what economy might look like, God is able to provide for his people. We can trust his promise. Give thanks for the food and grow in faith. As John 6, this chapter continues on, we see the reaction of the crowd. The crowd, they came and they're basically saying, why you feed us again? And the crowd, in a way, kind of missed the point. The crowd just thought, hey, this is great. Here's somebody who can give us a free lunch. We're going to hang around this guy. But they didn't really want to acknowledge him as Lord. They just wanted to get lunch. And Jesus, in verse 27 of John 6, he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He's saying, guys, the point of what we did there wasn't just, I can provide for your stomachs. He says, no, the point of what he was doing there was to lead them to have faith in him, to be trusting in him and to follow him and to look to him and to put their lives in his hands. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, we read of later when the disciples are coming and they realize they had forgot to bring any bread along on the journey. And, and Jesus tells them, he says, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Think, Guys, what are you worried about here? And then he continues on. He says, don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? They gathered 12 basketfuls. Just the same number as there were of disciples. Not a coincidence. Jesus arranged the whole thing so there was enough food to feed the massive crowd. And then when they gathered afterwards, each one got a basket full. And he's in a way letting the disciples know, okay, guys, I'm going to take care of you. Here's a basket for each of you. Don't worry. And he's wanting these disciples to see that the point of this miracle was not just showing that he could give lunch. The point was... I'm going to provide. Those who trust in him, those who follow him, are going to be taken care of. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? He says, The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He also, in that chapter, says, to Look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. See how God cares for them. He says, you're much more valuable than they are. God will care for you. It's so easy to worry. And yes, sometimes he might not provide in big abundance. Other times he provides in all kinds of abundance. But God will provide for what we need. Don't worry. We live in a culture that is continually trying to get us to worry. <laughs> continually causing us to stress and be anxious. We live in a world, in a culture, a part of the world that has all kinds of economic abundance and yet all kinds of fear and anxiety about economic matters. 
trust the promise. God will provide for his people. I served, the first church I served was down in Eugene, uh, Oregon, Spencer Creek, uh, Luther, a little country church. And Spencer Creek was on, uh, on a well. It was out in the country, and so it had, it had well water. And some of you, uh, Perry's no well, they've just been dealing with getting new new well. Well, they told me about how some years previous to, before I got there, they, the well that they had had had, had gone dry. It was bad water. They were having troubles. They needed to get a new well. And so they have somebody come out and they, they get a plan. This is a spot where they believe there's going to be water and they start drilling. Well, at the time, they, they had had a pastor, Lars Stalsbrotten, who was up in his late 80s at the time, but he was still pastoring, and he had come out of retirement numerous times. He'd come out of retirement to serve that little church, and he was serving the church, and, and they were drilling for water, and they didn't find any. The first bit of drilling they do, they couldn't find any water. And the, the guy, people told me about this years later, he said the guy who was drilling the well, he, he said, you know, I don't, I don't think you're getting any here. Then Pastor Lars, he told him, God's going to provide. He, he said the, his church needs water, his church needs to have a well, God's going to provide. Well, they, they were a little church, they didn't have resources that they could just kind of take up and move somewhere else or anything like that. They needed water on their property. And Lars told him, God's going to provide, keep drilling. But the guy, they said, this guy is guy running the drill. He's looking, thinking, who is this crazy old man? <laughs> and he's thinking, you know, I know drilling, I know land, there's not water here. And he thinks it's foolish to keep on. They kept on, and sure enough, they hit water. <laughs> and God provided, and they had a good well that provided the water for the church. Lars knew that God provides for his people. That doesn't always mean you're going to hit water. Sometimes God might provide in a different way and you might end up having a dry hole and you might have to go somewhere else and God might provide in a different way than what at first you think would be good for him to do it. But somehow, some way, we can always trust God provides. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can always trust that you provide, you take care of your people. You keep your word. Lord, sometimes your word, it, it might seem almost impossible. And sometimes we face situations in life where things get tight and we can wonder and we get tempted to worry. But Lord, thank you that we can trust your promise. Thank you that you give us these times in our life when we see you coming through and keeping your word and, and they encourage us that we can trust you in the days ahead as well. Thank you that it's always true. The Lord does provide. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing a Thanksgiving hymn. And it's uh, this great Thanksgiving hymn with this great story of God's provision. <clears throat>